0: As I try to describe things sometimes, um, eventing for a long time was like a palm tree. It went straight up, right? And so you can sort of follow things from the generals through Jack Lookoff into Jimmy Walford and then the O'Connor's and then all of a sudden it blew up at the top.
1: Welcome to the Major League Eventing Podcast, the show for eventing fans, by eventing fans. Everyone knows how much we love mane and tail. And recently, our little Stanley got a rash under his neck.
2: Yes, right under his collar, he got a rash. He started scratching. It got really, really red. Uh, I got worried, well, we got worried, we and we took him to the vet. So, as everyone knows, we've talked about before on the show, that our Sparky has a bad coat and bad skin. And he's had allergies his whole life, and we've always struggled with that. And now here, Stanley started with us. So, we were very worried, took him to the vet, and the vet said, you know what the vet said, Karen?
1: She said, use main and tail PROTECT.
2: PROTECT line. So, here's the deal. You can use PROTECT every day on that hotspot, scratches. Rain rot. Ringworm. Ringworm. So uh, there's directions on the bottle. Get the bottle. But you can use it every day. But the key is you got to let it sit on their coat for about 10 or 15 minutes. Let it really soak in. Because that contact is what's going to fix this. And... Let it dry really well. Don't let the water fester on there. So what we have to do is we have to let Stanley's collar off and let it air out right. really good. We don't want any of moisture, which we think is possibly him running around and creaks and swimming and <laughs> all knows types what? of stuff. <laughs> you know how the barn dogs are. You have a barn dog at all, so Karen, tell us a little bit more about the Protect Line shampoo.
1: So it's a veterinary strength medicated shampoo that can com- uh, that provides a complete cleaning and protection treatment of tro- of topical skin problems.
2: Okay, cool. So it's antifungal, antibacterial. does all the above. Mm-hmm. Fantastic stuff.
1: And it is pH balanced and safe for daily use.
2: Yeah, so And that's what I didn't realize is that we can use it every day to get this stuff cleared up. And we're using it every day. And our dogs are, it's amazing. It's night and day how fast it cleared up. So I would use it, but I would use it like once, once every week. And it was just wasn't enough contact. Right. So get that. And then they also have for in-between baths. You just say you don't have time to give them a bath topical spray so they have a protect line spray it's an anti-wound spray same thing you know if your horse your dog your cat who knows but we know these barn dogs they're out there running around getting into water uh you know, water jumps on cross country and stuff like that so really really um fantastic stuff so karen people how do how do people learn more
1: i uh, just go to main and equine.com
2: and get it at your local tech shop right karen
1: yes Cooler weather is just around the corner, so don't let your horse get caught in the cold.
2: Yeah, a turtleneck has your horse's clothing needs covered, Karen. They sure do. Don't let your horse get caught out in the cold on that first cold night of the season. Now is the time to shop and purchase your fall and winter blankets, Karen. So how do people learn more?
1: So for sizing and temperature guidelines, you can go to turtleneck.biz.
2: Trish, has got us covered, and she can cover you. Trish is on with us to talk about equine mortality and medical coverages, which there's a lot of changes, Trish. So tell us what's going on in the industry right now, and how can you help people?
3: Yeah, there's a lot of changes going on the equine mortality medical coverage right now, and I just wanted to put the word out there that we don't have to be afraid. Changes are coming, but um, I can certainly take care of you know whatever you know whatever questions, concerns you know our, our ventures have. Right now, the biggest one is Great American is not offering any medical coverage to any renewals or new business. But And the thing is with our vendors, they're the one of the top three rated horses for mortality. So it's a very unique breed of animal, very unique training. So we need to make sure that your policy is covered. Um, I have access to some of the top-rated carriers right now. They are all offering full mortality, medical, surgical. Any coverage is needed for our vendors don't worry about it just give me a call and be more than happy to walk through your current policy and make sure that your renewal is covering your horse not a problem just give me a call i'm always available 484-319-8923
2: triple crown feed oh yeah triple crown big fans of triple crown feed they have tons of of great products out there Mm -hmm. premium stuff karen what do you got to say over there
1: so triple crown has formulas that are tailored to your horse's unique needs and help support immunity and gut health find your local triple crown feed dealer by going to triplecrownfree.com
2: triplecrownfeed.com that's a little bit of a tongue twister it triple is, it is. they have a great feed locator they have yes. a great feed com- comparison tool on their website i encourage everyone to get over there check out triple crown feeds website check out the different products check out what makes them so special And give him a shot, right, Karen? Oh, yeah. Support the people to support the show.
1: Everyone knows our little mascot, Stanley, and he was a good boy last year. So Santa brought him his very own blue box from Fairfax and Favor, and he got the Fitzroy mahogany leather doll collar, and he looks absolutely handsome. It has the gold shield buckle and the studded logo with the Fairfax and Favor logo on it. And it comes in mahogany and tan leather. So if you want to get your favorite furry friend a dog collar, or if you know someone who has a dog and they deserve a special gift, go to Fairfaxandfavor.com. I'm Robbie and I'm Karen and super excited about today's roundtable. Everyone loves our round tables. Uh, this one is going to be a discussion on eventing safety. And we have three special guests. Uh, we have Danny Warrington, who was a previous guest of ours, episode number 34, and he's with Landsafe Equestrian. David Taylor, who is a course designer and also a previous guest, episode 65. And then new to us is Catherine Winter. She is the owner, owner and founder of Ride Equisafe. So, everyone, thank you for joining us. Thanks for, Thanks for having. having us. Awesome. Yeah, thank you guys. Yeah, yeah. super. So um, so um, what we'll do is we'll direct um, questions to each one of you. Um, but first, before we get into the discussion, um, can you tell us a little bit about what you do?
4: Um, so Catherine, we'll start with you. Okay, great. So um, as you mentioned, I'm the owner and founder of Ride EquiSafe, and we specialize in equestrian safety equipment. Um, so that includes helmets, body protectors, air vests and safety stirrups and started the company basically based on my own experience of struggling to find my own safety equipment and kind of getting educated on what worked for me and what didn't. And here we are helping a whole lot of people hopefully stay safer in the saddle. Great. And Danny?
0: Well, we run LandSafe. Um, I. I hope by now most people know who we are and what we do. Um, I'm really excited to have Catherine on uh, with us. She is a great resource for anybody out there. I'm, I'm going to plug her a little bit. She's in, she's independent, right? So she's not Charles Owen. She's not UBEC, She's not you know one case. She's not one of these companies. And so she's a great resource to to give independent information, right? And and why I reached out to you and said you should get her is because you know, the articles and, and things that she wrote about after the helmet study, which we're going to get to, but, uh, but she's a great resource for everybody.
4: Thanks, Danny. I'll pay you later. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, very All right. And last but not least, Dave.
5: Uh, as uh mentioned, I am uh Dave Taylor. I'm a large R course designer in the sport of eventing. Uh, also co-owner of Elevation Dressage and Eventing located in Maryland. And, uh, along with Danny, uh, a member of the rider safety subcommittee within the U.S.E.A.
1: Great. And also owner of a very fast corgi named Zoe.
5: <laughs> I will, that is my wife's dog, but I am. I'm the one who held her in her highest glory after the race. <laughs> yes.
1: For anyone uh, who doesn't know, uh, uh, David's wife, Nikki, she owns Zoe and she is the First winner of the maryland corgi cup so
5: reigning champ reigning champ <laughs> so. still wearing the, the winning blanket oh yeah. great I love it.
1: <laughs> that's awesome great um all right so let's get to it and rabbi go ahead start yeah, us for off. sure
6: oh so super excited to have all three of you guys i think that all three of these aspects really fit together with the safety so i'm really curious to see what you guys all say um but just to kind of get into it So actually, just recently, I was rewatching on YouTube, which if anyone hasn't, I recommend it because it's just really cool. The 1978 World Eventing Championships that uh, that was won by Bruce Davidson. uh, Really cool. He narrated it and everything. But looking back at that is a completely different sport than what it is today. Um, Now, some people would say that it was safer back then than it is today. So just wanted to hear your guys thoughts. You know, Danny, your previous upper level rider, you can kind of start with you and get your opinions on that.
0: Uh, I, I think that I think that that's I per, my personal thought is it was a smaller, better educated crowd. Um, and I think that we've expanded beyond sort of a, a group of highly trained, highly educated riders. Um, and so as I try to describe things, sometimes um, eventing for a long time was like a palm tree. It went straight up. Right. And so you can sort of follow things from the generals through Jack LaGoff into jimmy walford and then the o'connors and then all of a sudden it blew up at the top and so now you have all these leaves that are that are reaching out and going in different directions and different people and different backgrounds and all sorts of things and so i think more so than it is safer or not as safe or more difficult or less difficult i think that it has been dissolved um, by that right like when you talk to the older group, they all refer to Jack LaGoff. When you talk to Jimmy Walford's age, they all, you know, they all talk about the generals and the colonels. And so there was a very small tree of education. Right. So that's my sort of take on that. Um, as far as the sports evolving, I I compare that to motocross. Right. I compare that to what evil Knievel did, right? He jumped the fountains. Well, now these guys from nitro circuits jumped the fountains on fire to a triple backflips, <laughs> you know? And so if you're going to be in a sport, the sport's going to evolve. And so, you know, as things get, if you can answer the question, can you first just use corners, for example, right? First, they put a corner up and everybody went, Oh my God, a corner. And then they went, here's a corner near the water. Oh my God. there Now there's a corner in the water. Then there was a corner into the water. Then there was a corner in a ditch. You know what I mean? And so you just like, well, I can do that. What, what can I do? And that's what, I mean, that's what growth and evolution are, right? Like it's pushing the boundaries. If we don't push the boundaries, we become stagnant. And so I don't, I don't think that the sport is less safe. I think it's less educated.
1: Mm.
6: Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess kind of, you know, Dave, on your kind of side of things, like with course design and everything, like what do you see... You know, at least in your opinion, with the kind of course design back then compared to nowadays, you know, what are you seeing there?
5: So it's when it comes to course, design, and I'll, I'll preface this with I am still especially compared to Danny in my salad years of of this sport. Um, I am still, you know, probably maybe just over a decade into this sport. I don't I didn't know the sport back then. It doesn't mean I haven't done my research. Doesn't mean I haven't watched and educated myself as much as possible. But to echo with what Danny said is, yes, the, the sport back then was also a lot more straightforward. You know, the, the, the jump was the jump was the jump. Here's the course. This is what it is. You know, it, it included the long format and it included, you know, these highly educated, highly talented individuals. And, and as we migrate to today's time, in order to not be stagnant, and because of the the loss of of the long format, uh, our courses have have had to change and and become you know shorter, more visible to spectators, uh, more friendly to the the average rider, and more attainable for them. But at the same time, again, not to it not be stagnant, we've we've had to change how we design courses and how we set them up. To to challenge both horse and rider. So on one side, yes, the sport of of yesteryear was was more straightforward. But with how we've changed the questions, how we've changed the fence design, and then the the technologies involved, uh, I think that the fences have become safer. I think that uh, it, it's it's a you know it's, it's it's still an evolving sport. We're still changing. We're still growing. Uh, so I, I, like I said. Because I wasn't around in this sport 25, 30 years ago, I can't say for certain that, yes, one was safer than the other, but I can say the sport has changed. And we have tried to implement uh, safer technologies and and changing course design to allow horse and rider to make good decisions.
0: Well, I, I just I, real quick, just to add to that, like... I mean, you watched that 1978 tape, right? What What was the rule then? Three falls of horse and rider before elimination, right? So yeah. are we safer? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Like, you know, come on. Like, there's a, you know, everybody's like, oh, the good, good old days. And then everybody forgets about the horses tying up in the vet box and not getting out of the vet box and, you know, all those things. And we, we can sort of look back and remember the past the way we want to, but at the same time there's a reality to that pass, right? Like that was a three falls of horse and rider before elimination. Like you, you, you look at people like that now, they'd be like, Oh my God. Right. Like <laughs> here they are like shoving people back on the horses, you know, taping them up, go on, get done. So yeah, I think, I think we are safer in that aspect. Right. And Dave, I I think you just, you know, as you touched on some things. I think that the 45 degree angle to the front face of a big table is one of the greatest things that ever happened in the safety of the, of the sport. Right. It allows that horse's leg to, to move back a little bit and it doesn't stop that. I think little things like that are huge, right? Huge in the, in the thought process of the effort that we're putting into, into the safety of the sport. Yeah,
5: for sure. yeah I, I agree with you, Danny. It's like I said, it's the, the sport has evolved, but we have also applied so much more research and so much more, uh, you know, thought into it all than, than that sport of, of yesteryear.
4: And I think too the visibility of the safety is so much higher these days like way back when we didn't have social media. So, you know, fall videos were not going around the way they are now. People weren't commenting, you know, it there wasn't as much of a broad dialogue. And when I say broad dialogue, I think some of that is good and some of it is a little bit dangerous if it's in the wrong hands. But, you know, in my opinion, one of the things that that social media and and that type of thing has done is it's heightened the conversation and it's kind of created an additional push to look at, all right, how technical is too technical? What is really necessary? Um, And how how do we continue to grow and evolve the sport and challenge people, but to do it in a safe way?
0: Yeah, exactly. I think think Derek DeGrazio does a good job of that. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. And I mean,
6: you know, and Catherine, like, I know that we're you know, probably going to be talking about, you know, all the different safety aspects and everything, at least on the rider side. But like, you know, comparing back then to something now, I mean, you know, back then, it, even just until recently, riders were able to wear, you know, top hats and the dressage ring and everything.
4: Absolutely. You- yeah. So from an equipment perspective, we've definitely seen tremendous evolution. Um You know, both from a rules perspective as well as the equipment itself, you know, the the change from top hats to helmets is, is an obvious one. But just even looking at the evolution of safety technology, you know, breakaway stirrups is a really big one. Um, You know, the changes and upgrades to the helmet certification and seeing better helmets that actually have harnesses on them as well. Um, And continuing to see the improvement in helmet technology. I know we're going to talk about the Virginia Tech study and what, you know, what that's going to do. Um, you know, with body protection, I would say the evolution there is a little bit slower in some ways. And in other ways, it's almost happening too fast, um, which I know we'll get to as well. But I think that there are really good things happening with the equipment that we're seeing to keep people safer.
6: Yeah, very cool.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this segment is by Red and Goat Equestrian. Get your all-weather outerwear by going to com. Well, that brings us today. Um, so, so we'll just continue with you, Catherine. So, with with all the um, the new helmets and safety vests, can you kind of tell us what's what's happening? You know, now we have the MIPS, and then there's also air vests, and then some riders prefer the non air vests, and then again the safety stirrups. So, can you tell us exactly what's happening
4: there? Sure. So, you know, we're we're seeing more and more entrance to the market in all of this type of equipment. And, and I think that's a really good thing. And I, I have to say, especially on the body protection side, I think we're seeing a lot faster rate of innovation, especially on the air vest. And I think in part that's actually driven by the hunter jumper market, because that was a new market for this equipment, as of about three, four years ago, really accelerating, and and I think manufacturers started to see that there was investment, client investment, and that in turn has had them take that money and reinvest it in R and D, and that is benefiting all types of air vests, um, body protection. You know, we're also seeing some some changes there, but not quite at the same rate. Um, that we're seeing on the Airvest side, and and with venting specifically, you know, we call the body protector a foundation layer, and that's that's the really critical layer. Um, so, you know, I think there is some opportunity there in terms of the technology, how they're made, but also some of the rules related to it, safety stirrups. I think the breakaways are a no-brainer or having some sort of a release mechanism so that your foot can get out and you don't get drug. I think especially for an inventor over solid obstacles, getting drug is really not good no. <laughs> in any circumstance. Um, and and again, the helmets, we just continue to see innovation in the helmets. Um, you know, there's there's m- uh, more and more focus on how do we make the helmets still attractive, still lightweight, which is important to people, but as protective as possible from multiple perspectives, not just concussion risk, which is what the Virginia Tech study was focused on, but also, you know, crush, hard edge impact, things like that. So there's a lot happening, and a lot of opportunity for people to take advantage of leveraging some of that equipment to stay safer. For sure.
1: So let's get to the um, Virginia Tech study. I know, Danny, you had quite a bit of thoughts on that. (laughs) Uh, So um, it did cause a big to-do, you know, all over the place, all over social media. So how has that affected the helmet industry?
0: Are you asking me or Catherine? Uh, She's more the expert. I'm just a big mouth.
4: Well, Um, we'll we'll start with Catherine and then we'll go to you, Danny. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, so the Virginia Tech study, you know, was interesting because it it's, you know, a very neutral, objective, university-based study. It, it, you know, it wasn't done by an insurance company, which the Folksom study out of Sweden is done by an insurance company. But I think that's also an important, you know, piece of information that we need to use in our overall decision-making. Um, I think that, people really freaked out when the Virginia Tech study came out. Um, I think people were very confused by it. They saw their own helmets on the list and maybe those helmets were where they expected them or not where they expected them. And, and there was this panic and everybody was then running to buy the number one and two helmet. Um, and And I spent a lot of time <laughs> and not a lot of sleep trying to kind of, ease people's minds, don't go run out and buy a new helmet immediately. Because again, this is one piece of information in a bigger puzzle. And yes, it is an important piece of information. But you need to figure out what is most important to you. Because again, the Virginia Tech study was about concussion risk, didn't really take anything else into account, didn't test for anything else. Um, so they studied videos of how riders fell and based on those videos, they designed their methodology, their test methodology. There was a lot of question about, oh, well, the methodology was flawed. We went through their methodology, um, and, and they chose, I believe it was 40 helmets to start. Eventually all ASTM helmets will be tested, but they had to start somewhere. They say started with 40, but You also have to look at what are the helmet's other certifications because each certification tests for something different. So maybe a helmet did really well in the concussion risk test, but it might have fallen apart upon first impact, which would mean it's not great for crush. So if you get kicked in the head, you might not have a concussion, but you might have a skull fracture. Is the skull fracture important to you? Probably should be. So it's looking at all of that information together and deciding what is the best helmet for you based on all of that information. And before any of that, the helmet has to fit. So a bunch of people were rushing out to buy a helmet and not reading, this is the type of head that it fits. And if it doesn't fit you, it's going to move when the horse jumps a hard jump. And then it's not going to be where it needs to be to even prevent that concussion. So I could go on for hours about this, but that's the snapshot.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think, I mean, I, you know, that's why I wanted you on here because I think it's, uh, in, you know, you're non-partial because you're not representing one, one company. Um, I, one of my great mentors and all the safety stuff was, was Roy Bort uh, from, from Charles Owen. And, you know, one of the great things he said one day, we were talking about helmets and everything. He said, well, you tell me what kind of fall you're going to have and I'll tell you what helmet you should wear. Right. And, and that, to me, that's an honest statement, right? He's like, you yeah, look, are you gonna have a high impact fall? Is the horse gonna fall on you? Is there are you gonna fall on the road? Are you gonna fall on the grass? You know, um, he was talking one day about you know, they these riders were getting some concussions, but the helmets weren't doing having any impact. So they were cutting the helmets and seeing what it was well. They figured out that it was a very soft ground month in, in in Europe. And so the jump jockeys were hitting their heads in soft ground. The ground was taking all the original impact, so the helmet was doing no damage there's no damage to the helmet but the brain was still was still getting that angle of yeah. rotation right uh-huh. so you were still getting a concussion even though the helmet wasn't so there's just a million things that are involved in this and so again Gather, I mean you know the knee jerk reaction that the equestrian world sometimes has to things is is a bit is a bit upsetting right um and I'm a victim of that right in 1980 we talked about body vests right they walked into the jocks room in 1987 in richmond with the ransom body vest, right? Yeah. And basically, <laughs> basically, it was a tissue, right? Uh, Johnny Franklin's mom had made it. It was a quarter inch thick. Uh, it, it was nothing. And you should have seen the reaction of the boys in the room. We'll never wear that thing. That thing's a piece of crap. But you we, we, we wear that. That'll stop you from re-. like all the stuff that people are saying about air vests now is what we said in 1987 about a body vest. Now, I will tell you two years later that those body vests were mandatory, right? And then it went from there. Um. And for me, that that grew as well. Right. I wouldn't wear the ransom vest in 87 and 89. I wore everybody wore them. Right. This is what, what, how it went. But in the end, and I think it was 2000 and was say 12 or maybe 14, somewhere around there. Uh, Charles Owen came out with the arrow wear, Air Vest combo thing. Yeah. And I was sponsored by another company and I bought that vest. Right, because it was so much more to me, more superior. So now it's bigger, it's heavier, it's all the things that I hated in 1987. So as we get older, right, we get a little bit hopefully smarter, um, and so you sort of re- reevaluate that stuff, right? And and yeah. so so our knee jerk reaction to these initial things, mine to the air vest, right? A lot of people to this concussion study protocol, they go, well, it's concussion, yeah. Well, and you know, I'm I'm going to tell ourselves, like, don't hit your head right? Decelerate that impact with your arms, right? Get your chin to your chest, right? Don't lead with your head, all kinds of things that we could do not to hit our head. So we don't need the helmet, right? The helmet should be uh, in case, right? So start to think a little bit differently where I think a lot of people do just, they go, I got on a helmet and a vest. Let's go. And I, uh, you know, they, that's not, that's not really the way uh, of any other sport in the world, right? These, the, the safety equipment is the, what if not, because of right, like, exactly. This is extra.
5: Yeah. No, uh, I, like I said, I think um, you know, from from my side, the first off, you know, a helmet better than no helmet goes without saying, and and the, you know, kind of piggyback everybody else. You know, a proper film is better than just a helmet. Uh, I think this study, you know, a a great step forward, and information we didn't have. It may be like this, you know. It may help us the end year. Dave's in Ocala.
0: We'll be back. to Dave later. <laughs> 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 that, the, the, as everyone in the horse world knows, Ocala has the worst service oh. in in oh, the country. <laughs> yeah, now he's completely gone. Uh,
1: we'll get him back. We'll yeah, get him yeah, back. We'll um, well, so they'll, they'll bring me to this. So, um, just throw this out here. So like the, the Western world, they don't wear helmets. I mean, you might see a couple wear them. Like what, what is their, um, safety measures, you know, like, has I, anyone like looked into like their concussion rates and
4: all that? Like,
6: And I think I even saw in that study that like, apparently there's some cowboy hat helmet thing.
4: Yeah. It know. didn't perform well. No for concussion. Um, I'm not, and I know it's an, A. I looked, it is an ASTM helmet. So, you know, so it has been tested for some basics. You know, I've been super curious about this and we've, we've talked about starting to go to like some quarter horse shows and, and things like that this year. But, you know, we definitely see, I would say a slower evolution of attire and equipment on the Western side of things. Um, very, they're, they're very much traditionalists. Um, it's, it's very classic. And I want to say, you know, and, and this is not based on any conversations that I've had, but I want to say in part, it's tradition, um, especially like on the Western side, you know, I'm, I'm tough, I'm rugged. I'm not talking about necessarily like bull riders and things like that. But I have to think that some of the thought processes, the horses aren't quite as big. They're not doing as much what they would call high impact stuff. The pace is slower. That's kind of what I logically have to think, but I haven't had that direct conversation, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I probably shouldn't put words in in their mouths.
0: But <laughs> there's some pretty epic rollovers if you watch some of the uh, ranch sorting, some of the cutting. Really? Oh my god! They they I got information once early on about when we were doing a lot of research into this rotational stuff. And there were three rotationals at the, at the, at the reigning championships when they go to slide, they overreach and, and, and roll right over. Right. Um, I just, somebody just sent me a video the other day of a, of a horse working the cow on the wall and it just got tangled up. And I, I mean, it, it fell as hard as any horse on, you know, it just wiped out. great. But, you know, just that whole side sideways fall. So there, there is a lot, I think one, they generally work in very deep footing. Um, hmm. and so as we know that deep footing, is, is a, is a reduction of impact, right? So the more cushion, the less impact you have and slows that down, slows down that angle of rotation. So those, those things help. I agree 100% with it. it's a bit tradition, but again, a little step back look at, look at the bull riders and see the evolution and hockey players too, right? Yep. Look at the evolution of those guys where they would not wear a helmet, right? Every, no hockey player in the seventies and eighties, you know, one helmet, you know, one guy wore a helmet because he had split his skull open one time. And so now he's, you know, he's going to wear a helmet. But the rest of the team didn't. And now everybody wears a helmet. It's a rule. The, the The bull riders are the same. There's only a few guys now that don't wear helmets. Most of these guys are wearing helmets. And they all wear body vests, mm-hmm. right? And they yeah. didn't before. And it's a, you know, it's a. it goes back to that whole seatbelt. You know, we argued about seatbelts forever. And now you just wear your seatbelt. It just is weird.
1: Yeah, I hear the um, argument um, that oh this is my this is my barrel horse this is my western horse I don't need to wear a helmet yet they also event and they'll wear a helmet you know doing dressage but you know we I know of two people off the top of my head they were just flatting a horse and they had they were wearing helmets and they still had a traumatic you know brain injury so it's like what's the difference you know like
0: yeah I think daily safety is something interesting right like I think you know, we, we sort of, we're going to walk two lines here. One is that catastrophic rotation fall that, that we see in a, a venting. That's the one that Lansing is really sort of driven by. Right. And then I'm going to tell you the story that I hear every week. I was just mm-hmm. fill in the blank. I was just getting onto the mounting block. I was just hacking on the buckle. I was just riding my right. I was just, and then, right. And mm-hmm. so, there's this I was just thing. And so I think that's a little bit you, to your point. It's like, well, it's my barrel horse. He's fine. Well, I've just gone for a hack today. I'm not going to put on my helmet. Oh, we're just right. Like, and so then, then it spooks. Then it wheels, you know, at a very quiet horse yesterday, go into the woods to cross country school. And the next thing I knew, the girl was sitting on her butt. And, you know, this is a very quiet mare. A deer jumped out. <laughs> Down she went, like it was just that quick, you know. And and uh, I sort of half laughed because it was one of those falls where she was, you know, just very easy, landed right on her backside, all fine. But again, I've known this mare now two years. I've never seen her put a foot wrong. Like never seen her put a foot wrong. She's never spooked, wheeled, missed a distance. She's an amazing, amazing mare. And did did that. So it's that I was just I was just walking in the woods to go to the next fence, right? It wasn't even the jump. It was just walking in the woods. Mm-hmm. So so I think that's the you know, there's two sort of sides of this. I always say I was just very rarely do I hear I was going like hell for the win, And then, right. It's, I was just, right. I was just jumping. uh, We were just the last fence. We were just, right. It was always sort of this moment of, you know, I don't want to say relaxed or whatever, but it was never, it's not this high intensity thing that we sort of visualize all the time.
4: Exactly. Well, and that's a big question that I get from, I would say at least half the clients I work with, when should I use my equipment? <laughs> and, and I, I kind of, you know, have the same answer as, as Roy gave you, Danny, Of tell me what your next fall is going to be and what kind of fall it's going to be. Yeah. Well, I can't do that. Well, exactly. So personally I tell all my clients, I do not put my foot in the saddle and unless I've got a safety stir up a helmet and For me, I'm a hunter-jumper rider primarily, so it's an air vest. Um, We have the technology. Why not use it? I am a breadwinner for my family. If I get hurt, so imagine if you ride professionally and you get hurt, that's your loss of income. If you don't ride professionally, but you do something else and you get hurt, that's a loss of income. That's how I think about it, and I have the technology to maybe help prevent injury. It's not guaranteed, of course. So why wouldn't I use it every single time?
0: Yeah, I think that I, that, that whole statement, right? Like I, with LandSafe, I, I feel like if, if I can reduce catastrophic injury by 10%, right? So that's one in 10 people, that changes the outcome of a thaw because of some education. That's a huge uptick right? Yeah. I'm not saying that you take the program, you're not going to get hurt. You're going to get hurt. I tell people that all the time. Mm-hmm. Falling hurts. It's going to hurt. What mm-hmm. I would want you to do is walk away, limp away, not have a catastrophic injury, right? Those are the things that, that we're, we're looking at. And so there's a reality to what all oh, this safety is. It's not safe, right? I mean, we just watched this weekend, the the, the the football player, the actor, and the car racer all go down, right? All just heroes, just gone. You know, in the hospital, two of them in the hospital, one dead. And and you sort of go, whoa, 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 what was that? You know, and that's what we went through and have gone through multiple times in eventing, right? You go through these waves of just accidents, you know, and so then you get this. So, no, riding is not a safe sport, right? If you want to be safe, play badminton, right? The little, right. <laughs> with a shuttlecock and a net, right? Like, you, you know, just remove all adrenaline from your life, right, and just be done. um So, so that that's safe, right? Uh, you you could hang yourself in the net, I guess, if you ran at it and clutched <laughs> over. It. I mean, I guess there's some danger to badminton. Some, there's somebody out there that had a heart attack playing badminton, and, and now you know. Well, badminton's a bad sport. I, you know, I'm sure that there's that aspect of it. But but the reality is, if you're going to ride horses you're 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 playing at a at a high risk sport right yeah. and whether you're i say to people all the time whether you're trail riding or whether you're doing a five-star it doesn't matter it's a high risk sport right because yeah. the animals involved,
1: right. right exactly and i hear we have dave back so dave can you take us through the cross-country courses and what we're doing now to make them safe
5: so we you know we as we as designers and and we as a sport I guess, you know, we talked touch base with the beginning is we're, we're trying to keep things from being stagnant. Uh, And, but at the same time, you know, we're implementing, you know, we've got studies that have come through on, you know, acceleration and, you know, where a horse has to take off from. We're figuring out, you know, how, you know, the shape of a jump, the color of a jump how that all pertains and how that all affects both horse and rider in how they perceive an individual jump. Um you know, as Danny said, one of the things that you know we're implementing is that, you know, the the front of a table now has to be at a forty five. And you know that's that it, it is a it's a huge thing versus the incredibly vertical fences that were were there before. Uh we're implementing more frangible technology with with MIM system and and the reverse pin. Where one of the big things I think in the past year that has changed is how we decorate fences. I mean, it's it's always played a part in it, but now we're figuring out how decorations can help create a better shape and a better understanding for for horse and rider as they approach. You know, it's it's a little bit of a, a hard situation. at, at keeping you know, the heart of the sport involved, but also kind of changing with the information we have now. Uh, we understand that horses don't see uh, certain colors the way we perceive them. Uh, so red and green to them are very similar. Yellow and tan are very similar. Uh, so it's, it's keeping in mind those things and, and, and having contrast and you know, helping develop, like I said, how how a horse and a rider perceives a fence, but also how they interact with the fence and what what is safe uh, or what is safer. Uh, It's, you know, it's continuing to develop. Every year there's a new study or a new thought process uh, that comes into play. And we, you know, as as quickly as we can change to adapt and, and do our best as designers and then the builders, and organizers to to create a safer fence. A new study comes out, or a new piece of information is revealed that we have to try to implement as well. But also, you know, hold fast to what what is our sport and what we're supposed to be doing. I am definitely, you know, I don't I don't think I stand on an island here, but I do not believe that franchise technology is going to make our sport safer. I think that what one thing that we really need to make sure is that riders are, are accountable, that they're doing the proper training, they're putting in the sweat equity to, to be educated, to make sure the horse is educated. Um, you know, we can do everything possible to, to make the sport safer, but you know, to touch base on something Danny said at the very beginning is the riders of yesteryear were so focused on this sport, they knew it in and out. They knew their horse in and out. But I think we we discount a little bit where you know the the responsibility a rider has in today's sport. That just because the horse can doesn't mean they should. Just because the rider wants to doesn't mean they should. Uh, You know, it's it's something Danny and I have talked about several times, uh, and just in discussing uh, the sport. But the riders have to be have to be ready as much as the horse has to be ready for, for a level and for a cross-country course, regardless of the safety uh, measures that we put in.
0: I think, you know, you start of talking about the, the, the level and we sort of go back to the to the 1978, right? Like that does that that's a different era, right? Like how many of the kids that are out there today grew up fox hunting? Even maybe had the chance to go fox hunting, let alone like hunt two or three times a week, right? Where you know you sort of grew up in that Chester County, Northern Virginia fox hunting, steeple chasing background. You know, you had some some outliers from California. You know what I mean? Like they the came east. You know, and so this this ability to to have this true cross country seat, yeah, this true cross country riding, yeah. The Boyds boys and the Phillips that that are, that that are a bit not as polished as you know sort of some of the the West Coast riders I want to say and 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 but they have a better I don't want to say better because that's not really fair but they have a they have a, a more of a cross country seat right. Lucinda Green will talk about that kind of thing right. That that um, Christopher Baller talks about the what if position you know, like, what if he hangs it, like, what if he pecks on the landing, what if, you know, and and so not this sort of forward seat practice of always, you know, the perfect distance, the perfect thing, the perfect ride, the crest, you know, all of those things that sort of stem out of the hunter jumper world, the equitation world that when they get to our world are great until you drop down a bank or, you know, where stumbles on landing or those sorts of things. And you, you've fallen away from, from cross country riding. Yeah. And I think that, then I think that, you know, the two, and I, I go back to the palm tree, right? The Lucinda Green, the Jimmy offered, you know, sort of being able to stay behind the horse, yet stay with the horse, you know, um, in that little bit more defensive seat. Um, I think I think that is, that that riding is developed at home, not in a, at, like at home running across fields, you know, I mean, right? You, you, you guys are big Boyd fans, you know, That that's a great place to grow up. You know, if you grow up at Boyd's, like, he, he's got a gallop. He's got cross country fields. Right, those those kids are going to come up a little bit different. The people that are there are going to ride a little bit better just because of the opportunity versus the rider that's in you know Michigan who has an arena and they go cross country schooling once a month, you know, two hours away. Um, and and so that that opportunity, everything has changed, and so we have to be better about those you know, you sort of, you say rider responsibility, but I think teaching the riders what, what being qualified is, right? Because you've met your qualification doesn't mean you're qualified. Yeah. And so, and, and I think that that's, you know, that's a, that's a industry wide movement, right? That's not a rule. We can't rule that in, right? We have to create a, an industry that says, look, you know, we're here. We're here to help you. We're here to hold your hand. We're here to guide you in a way we're not by me saying you have to do 10 preliminaries before you go intermediate. Isn't me keeping you from going intermediate. It's right. me making you safe when you go intermediate or, or, or better off, right? Better educated, less chance for right. If you do four prelims and go intermediate or you do 30 prelims and go intermediate, who do you think is better qualified? right? Not meet the qualification, qualified, right? The one that does 30, right? That's a, that's a no brainer. Why is that so hard? Why, why can't we sort of make that, that the mentality, right? And, and like, it's, again, it goes to Dave's statement of, you know, rider, rider responsibility,
4: right? For sure. I mean, and, and I have never ridden at the upper levels of eventing. Um, I'm not brave enough to do that, <laughs> but I, like, I know enough that when I go to an event, There are times where a rider will be leaving the gate and I will know I'm like, okay, this is going to be scary because I know the rider that that shouldn't happen. Yeah. That shouldn't happen. I shouldn't be worried about a rider at an upper level. And I'm saying this, not knowing the sport in and out um, like you guys do. But if it's enough that I know that it might be a worrisome ride, I think that that's something to be concerned about. <laughs>
0: yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree with that. Like, you know, you start to stroll up and go, hmm, well, that doesn't look safe. <laughs> you know, like, and from the outside, you're like, wow, these guys are really cowboys. Um, That's probably a problem, right? It shouldn't, it shouldn't, I always say it shouldn't be difficult. And like we did, I did a cross-country school the other day and I'm like, look guys, this shouldn't be hard. This should be easy. It should flow. So if it's hard, we need to back down until it's easy, then move back up again, right? Like you, this shouldn't be difficult. Yes, you're going to, you, yes, you're going to meet, Dave Taylor, and he's going to put an angled fence at the bottom of the hill, and you're going to run by it, right? Because Derek DeGrassi had told him, taught him how to how to put that fence in a place that if you're not on your line, you're going to go by it. And so that's how you know that that's how the mistakes should be made, right? They shouldn't be made because you're they should be made because you're off your line or you're just a, a, a bit off of the step, right? Not they, they shouldn't be made because you're just plain not ready to go out there, you know. Like that's the that to me that's the
5: you know, for me, you know, I, I sit there as you're talking. I'm thinking honestly about me riding on a course and and having that feeling of, you know, of being prepared of spending, you know, instead of being qualified to go intermediate after four, you know, four prelims. That all right, I, I've done four prelims. I'll step back down. I need to go work on some stuff. Uh, I'll go back to training. All right, come back up to prelim. Gonna push myself. Gonna try some different venues, the different designer. Uh, see some different things go to a different area and just how much that changed how ready I truly was and how ready my horse was when we made that step. You know, like I said, you know, us as designers, you know, we, we all, we do everything we can, uh, everything possible to help you have a successful day and success isn't always, you know, the day that ends at the end of the course, sometimes success is you call it after, you know, you, you had a run out and, okay, my horse isn't ready. You know, we had, a, we had a safe refusal. We, we, we stepped away because it wasn't right. We we strive to make sure horse and riders can have those safe days, can have successful days and, and have education and, and grow and learn But also, you know, is having those moments where, you know, you pull up and go, today's not our day, we're going to go back home, we're going to go back to school, we're going to learn some more, we're going to come try it again another day. And that's, that's something that, you know, we can't force you to do. It's something that you need to, as a writer, learn and and grow and, you know, step away from doing things for Facebook and Instagram, and do it because it's the right thing that, You know, I I had a student that, you know, last year, a year before, I can't remember now, but she went into warm up, and you could tell it wasn't right that day. And I couldn't, I didn't want to tell her she couldn't go. I wanted her to tell me she shouldn't go. And the moment she turned to me and said, today's that day that I should just go home and we need to go back to school and we need to go practice. That was the biggest eventing win I've ever had in this sport is that watching someone else put themselves and their horse above all else and their safety and think about it before they even got to the start box.
4: Dave, I think that that is huge. And to me, the, you know, I just had a big white bulb at the very beginning of your statement of the success is not finishing the course. The success is having the ability to say, Hey, I can safely finish the course or I have homework to do, and I'm going to stop now because I know what the homework is, and I'm going to go work on that so that I can get across the finish line another day. I think that that would be an amazing mentality for more riders to adopt because at the end of the day, they're going to have more success crossing that finish line if they have that mentality. I think that's huge. Yeah, I
5: agree. yeah so there's something in the aviation world, and I'm not an aviator by any means, but you know I enjoy aviation they talk about this thing called get their itis and it's putting you and your plane in a situation and just being so focused on the end goal that you forget about being safe and doing things the right way. Now that, you know, you have a decision early on to go, I shouldn't, I shouldn't fly there today because there's cloud cover and I'm not rated to fly in clouds or my plane doesn't have the instruments, but you know, pilots sometimes get so focused on needing to get there that they've already left for the trip that they then have an accident or they get themselves in a situation they don't know how to get out of. I think it's something very uh common in the horse world is that once a horse and rider get out on course, they're so focused on those finish flags that they forget they can just say, I don't have to go there today. I don't have to get to the finish flag today. I can pull up now safely, go home, do my homework, and come back and try it again when I'm when when things are, are better. Yeah. I,
0: I, that, I mean that, that's that's exactly the 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 time thing to me for the younger riders. You know they're they're focused on their watches and they're focused on making time and not you know not not. Dude, you put five in the four because you scrambled over the in, or you put three in the five. You know what I mean? Whatever that sort of range is they're they're just smiling ear to ear. You're like, holy cow, that was horrifying, right? Like everybody else in the room is like, Jesus. And they're just like keep going, right? They don't even know. I had somebody yeah, the other day jumped through a I was like, How many you. I don't know. I was like, Well, you said just doesn't matter that you did, but maybe you should just know, like just be able to count to this at to four. I don't know, a number, anything. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I think, I think, I I think getting people to understand that the game isn't wild and crazy when, you know, when you watch a, a William Fox pit run around a five star, you know, like it's just poetry, right? It's just smooth. It's just silk. And yeah, and again, I say mistakes get made, right? Things happen. Horses misread questions. Things go wrong. They, They miss a foot. They grab a shoe. You know, there's a million things that go wrong, but the general look should be positive It should be nice it should be a pretty it shouldn't be this wild and wooly thing that that we have you know sort of come to you know I think it goes back to your your thought Catherine there of the Cowboys tradition you know what's well, tradition we're just going to get on this thing and ride it you know like we're so beyond that right like we we forgot you know the O'Connor's were so great to introduce us all to the Pirelli system and to do this years ago and sort of branch out into this natural horsemanship and a different way to think about how you educate a young horse and how a young horse proceed. Like there's this whole system out there that isn't just get on and be Bronco Billy because you're a a venter. You know what I mean? It's like, no, educate your horse. This This should be easy, you know? And, and, you know, I came through that, that school of get it done. I rode races for God's sake, right? No one does it better than us. Just get on something that doesn't steer. It doesn't slow down and run it at a fence as fast as it can go, right? Like, I understand the concept, but this sport should not be that sport.
1: Yeah. And also like time is a a factor as with safety as well. Like you see riders out there, they're just doing their best to make the time. It's like, well, maybe just slow down a little bit and just get, you know, be safe. And then, you know, maybe the next event, you know, work on your time and, you know, try to get used to the speed factor as well.
0: Yeah. You should be able to make time. You shouldn't have to try to make time. You know, at the especially at the mid-levels, right? Like you gotta go fast. I always sort of say a preliminary now, you have to sort of try, you have to go a little bit to make time. Um, you know, when you're doing a five-star, you gotta you gotta put the throttle down, you you gotta go for time, but you know how to do it, you know where to do it, right? You don't leave the start box like just going as fast as you think you should go. You know, you you use the ground, you use the time, you save ground, you you know let the horses breathe up the hill, you let them run down the, you know all of those things, and you you save them where you need to save them, you use them where you can use them, and 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 it and it helps. But I, I think that that again goes to the the lack of education from from the coach's standpoint. You know, the trickle down effect has come from the palm tree again, right? It's like, well, I didn't do that, so we're just going to go for time. Well. You know, we, we need to, I think we, I think we, as a, like I said, I think we as a sport need to do a better job of, of getting that, that word out there. You know, it's not about time, you know, like I very rarely, and I thought, you know, it was interesting. Uh, and I think, again, it was Fox but it said, you know, he very rarely makes time at a horse trial. Why? Why waste the horse at a horse trial, right? We're going to do it at a championship. We're going to do it at a long We're going to at FEI. right? We're not going to do it at a horse trial. We're going to give them a nice run at a horse trial. And I think a lot of people have just missed that completely. You know, like we're not every horse trial is not to be won or to be gone for. Right. You know, you should stagger you know, yourself in a way that it's like this one is, a, is the first one. We're going to go around. We're going to get a nice education. Then the next one, we're going to try a couple of things. And the next one, we'll start to put a little time into it. And then by then you're sort of looking at if if you're if you're a qualified rider. Right. Right. Uh, graded right and then then you know, your fourth or fifth or sixth level then you're starting to go okay now now i got a feeling for this horse horse has a feeling for the course now we're going to start to see we get get them a little fitter so that when we go next in two weeks or next month to FEI, we are footstep perfect right instead of going out that first or second one trying to trying to bang it out
4: right just a thought yeah. I, think, I think that also goes to, to goal setting as well. And, and this kind of touches a little bit about what we've been talking about. And, you know, Dave, some of your statements that, you know, what is the goal for that particular event? And it's not just to finish and to win. It is, you know, is my goal to maybe be more conservative on time, but to, you know, take the more technical routes and to be really smooth and, you know, try and hit everything out of stride or whatever the case may be, but to to identify more of those interim goals that will lead to you having easy, smooth courses where you get 30 under your belt and you feel really Competent to be able to move up, for example, because you're learning how to ride every bit of the course in every circumstance that can possibly get thrown your way.
0: Right. I'm just, I, I just real quick, you know, you have three different people on here, right? I do safe she does helmets, David's course design.
4: And what did we,
0: what did this conversation come down to? The riders, right? Right. It, it, right? It, it circled right back to, yeah, look, we can put a helmet on you. I can teach you how to impact the ground better. Dave can make the fence perfect. But if you, you go out there and don't do the things that you're supposed to do. We we struggle to help you, right? And I and I think that that to me, I just sort of I'm, I'm listening to this conversation, just sort of shift this way back to rider responsibility, back to education, and and I think that that we all are tools to help you as riders become more more proficient in what you do. You know, we're going to give you the equipment. I'm going to teach you some things to help protect yourself. Dave's going to make the fences the best that he can make so that you can do it. We're going to design the course so that this can be, you know, the best experience that you can have. Right. And so these three things all have to combine for you and, and my saying and, and Lance, is right horse, right rider, right level. And if yeah. you do those three things, there's no problems. There's never a problem. It's, it's when you remove one element, wrong horse, the horse doesn't have enough scope, wrong rider, doesn't have enough experience. Wrong level, too high, right? Like it just even even like don't take your advanced horse trail riding in Wyoming. It probably will wheel, spook, jump off a cliff, right? <laughs> like you got to put your horses where they belong, right? You know, um, and 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 that. So I think I think that that's a very very cool sort of thought process that we just sort of came to.
6: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's uh, it's actually fine that you brought that up. I've been taking notes and rider responsibility seems to be kind of the theme of all of this. So yeah, it's, it, it kind of brings everything together
0: yeah there's nothing there's nothing one of us can do right you could put a helmet on but if you're not if you're not balanced through a turn it doesn't matter what dave did to the fence because you slipped on the turn going to the fence and fell down right like we so so now and you fell on your shoulder because the horse wiped out sideways so now the helmet the vest that does you no good because right. you didn't even come separated from the horse so so you had all the equipment dave did his job right i did my job but you you would around the corner too fast on, on bad ground with the wrong studs in and down you go and, and, and everything's just gone again. Right. And so it does come back, does come back to you for me.
1: <laughs> it's always Danny's fault. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> that is, that's true. That is true. Somewhere along the way, I had something to do with it.
6: <laughs> you know, I guess kind of then bringing it back over to you, you know, you with LandSafe. Uh, doing like the fall training and everything, it seems like that more and more people are kind of getting involved with that. You know, walk us through kind of that process and kind of your part of the rider responsibility. You know, with that type of education.
0: Yeah, I I think you know I was it was funny I was I, I had uh, Dr. Anderson Kathy Anderson I'm at the Fair Hills uh, Christmas party the other day, and Chucky e. Lawrence was there and Chucky e. was a great jump jockey, very very good, very good rider, very very uh, successful. And, uh, you know, we were sort of talking about the falls and things like that. And, and, you know, the first thing he said was, he's like, he, he knew who was who when they fell, you know, the way they laid on the ground or how they laid on the ground. And, and, and you're, you know, there, there is a way there's a thought of, of, again, it's personal responsibility of protecting yourself, being aware, being, and we, we sort of came to the word situational awareness, right? What are you going to do if? So, so, you know, our, our process is, is not hard, right? Like it's basic stuff, but if you, if you don't know how, one, if you don't know that you're supposed to stick your arm out to decelerate that impact, that's a problem, right? And so everybody goes, well, you break your arm and I go, good, great, super, right? Like that's not a problem. And if you do that, right, you won't break your arm. Right? And I've never broken an arm, right? Got some pins in place and some fingers and stuff like that, but never broken an arm. So so you think, it, you, you think about that and then tuck your chin to your chest so that your head doesn't get whipped. Have enough neck strength to hold yourself in that impact moment, right? And so, you know, there's the, – oh, you should just relax when you fall. Don't stick your arms out when you fall. That Those are wrong things. That's not how you impact the ground. You impact the ground trying to decelerate that impact in a rigid firm so that you can withstand that impact, right, and your body in the best shape that it can be in to absorb that energy and to move through that energy. Right. And so there is definitely a way to impact the ground better. Um, I do think one of the things that, you know, a lot of people think we teach you how to fall off. I don't teach you how to fall off. I don't know how you're going to fall off. Right. Every, every fall is different. Every horse falls differently. Right. There's no two falls are the same. So I don't, I don't teach, I teach impact the ground. Look, and all I'm doing is trying to teach you how to protect your head and your neck. How to decelerate that impact the best that you can and how to move through the energy. And then also to be aware, right? Like, you know, we Chucky and I were talking about it's like, man, you know, you're falling, you're laying there on the ground, and and then the horse rolls over top of you. Why didn't you roll away from it? Why didn't you scurry your feet? Right? Because your brain has shut down at that point. And all I'm trying to do is talk you through that, you know, 500 milliseconds from the peak of that fall to the ground and through that moment right so and we do it in slow motion so that your brain can 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 you know sort of see it our group our program is growing exponentially i, I it's you know we've been it, it took a while i feel like it took a while um obviously i'm a pretty impatient person um but it, it took a while to really gain traction but you know now you know we we struggled with oh it's too much money oh you can't teach it oh this oh that to wow, this is a really good program. And, and, um, you know, we're very lucky at the moment you, we had a girl come a couple clinics ago and she said, you know, I went online because I wanted to find a reason not to take this clinic. She said, I wanted to find a bad review. I wanted to find a bad comment. I wanted to find out why I shouldn't take this. She said, I couldn't. And to me that that's like the biggest, like pat on my back for that. Right. Like if you, you in the world of negative uh, pandering on social media, if you can't find a negative thing about our program, that says a lot to what we do and and, and what we've done. So,
6: yeah, yeah. and uh, I guess kind of also just to bring it back to you, know, some of the some of what you said earlier about kind of you know, growing up doing the fox hunting and kind of getting all getting in shape and everything like with the riding, like obviously like with what it is that you're doing like with the tuck and roll kind of one of the things that you're teaching like it requires some level of kind of fitness and kind of reaction time and strength to be able to kind of do that like do you think that that's also again kind of bringing it back to like rider responsibility like is that something that could be potentially lacking or also needs to then also be focused on by the riders
0: well obviously you need to be responsible for your own physical fitness um what is really cool though um tony sandoval who's on the show um he, he's a great uh motivator he's a great athletic trainer um he's, he's pretty re- remarkable what's really cool is that we work a lot of the same muscle groups right so what keeps you safe in a fall keeps you on <laughs> right and so these same muscle groups, these same firing mechanism work together. So I sort of said that in the very beginning and, and could never, and I'll never be able to prove it, but knowing how to fall, knowing how to impact the ground, not being afraid of that actually makes you stay on, right? Because you remove that fear. So you don't panic, panic creates stiffness, panic creates lack of thought, right? If you go, oh, if I fall, I'm just going to roll through that, right? Then you can react to, to the situation. So fitness is, is key. And I find a lot of people come to our program and then they're like, you know, they take Tony's flyer home, you know, they're like, I need to get fitter. I need to get stronger. So there's a definite, definite correlation between physical fitness and lack or reduction of injury, right? So the stronger you are, the better you can withstand that impact. The more you can decelerate that impact, all all of those things sort of play into to each other, right? They're, they're always the same. And, and I, you know, I think Robbie, I think you have a, you know, the, the right idea, but again, it does go back to the, the, the rider responsibility. I can't make you fit, right? I can show you that you're not fit. You know, I can show you that you, you really want to be able to withstand this stuff. You want to be able to do this. Um, I feel bad a lot of times because our program is pretty intense, and and you know it's two days and it should be six, right? We really recommend people doing it, you know, multiple times because you know, really the first time you do it is just an introduction to the fundamental skills of of what it takes to, you know, tuck and roll. We we prefer brace position because tucking tends to sort of people do this fetal thing and, mm-hmm. and we really strive to get away from the fetal. Um, because that doesn't really decelerate any impact. Mm-hmm. Uh so. Yeah. You're, you're stronger. You're going to be better in riding and in impact. So absolutely.
4: And I think there's a mental part to that too. It's not just physical fitness, it's mental fitness and being able to take that 500 milliseconds and stretch it basically in terms of the thought process in your mind to do the things that you need to do. And I feel like that is beneficial, not just in going through the thought process of how do I fall more effectively or how do I brace or whatever the case may be, but also if I'm out on course and something goes wrong and I have a split second to respond to it and make it safe versus turning it into something unsafe, I feel like that mental skill of being able to slow down a situation and break it down in that split second is also going to keep riders safer. Um, and that's something that there's, I, I know at least on the hunter jumper side, a lot of people are using sports psychologists, um, to, to learn how to do this more effectively. I'm not as familiar on the eventing side if, if the riders take advantage of things like that, but we see a lot of it, especially for younger riders and amateur riders on the hunter jumper side, Um, and, and it's about visualizing and slowing time down so that you can make more effective decisions that are going to keep you safer, but also result in better overall outcomes.
5: No, I was saying that, you know, I, I've, I've taken Danny's, uh, clinic, what, four or five times now. And, you know, talking about the mental aspect of it, I, you know, in doing that, Danny's thrown me off of his, his, you know, simulator every which way he can. And I know he still has more in his pocket, (laughs) but what I've, what I've learned out of it is one, you know, it's not, you know, yes, he's not teaching you how to fall. He's teaching you how to impact the ground. And what one thing I think I've gained out of the clinics more than anything else. And I've fallen, you know, several times, you know, since my last ride on on Danny simulator, but it's when a horse has a misstep, I find myself now in that split second going, where am I going? How am I getting there? Am I, am I staying on, you know, is this where I'm headed? Is this where I'm putting my body? And, you know, wh- whichever way the situation goes, whether I do come off and, you know, get up afterwards, brush the dirt off, go, okay, that went about as good as it was going to go. I, I, I've retained, you know, this reaction in that, that five milliseconds that I, I came through safely outside or, you know, the horse figures itself out. I realize that, you know, the best place to be is still on top of the horse in that situation. And I gallop off, I find myself looking back going, because I've practiced this, because I've put thought and effort and energy into, you know, the trying to be as educated as I am on all sides of the sport, including how to impact the ground and, and looking for, as Danny calls it, that soft spot as i'm galloping away i'm going this this is that moment for me as a writer that i appreciate it and and mentally it gives me this you know just I, I knowing i have this plan b and c and d you know as i'm going around a course that when you know because we we don't know everything when we head out on a course we don't know you know where how the horse is going to react to every single thing we can be as educated as we can on the riding side but having this mental exercise of yep this is this is where i'm going this is how i'm you know okay this is this is now happening now i'm looking for my exit plan or you know am i going to be able to provide this one out safely it it there there's something so empowering mentally having having gone through this program and and knowing that there are options other than being the victim that it 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 even explain how good it feels when things aren't going right, and you can have a quick plan and kind of free, start to figure your way out of it.
0: And we, you have that recorded, right? Because I want to use that as a as a as a statement for our program. Dave, you brought a tear to my eye. Oh, I
3: appreciate that. As it, as it dry well, that
5: it, off. To like dry that off, man. Hey, please try you you, you you know I'm one hundred percent the biggest proponent of your program ever you know every rider we have come into our barn we encourage them to 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 participate in this in this clinic with danny and kelly you know i've i've been lucky enough to not only you know i met danny and kelly years ago at the convention uh, the usda convention in fort lauderdale the first time i met them danny and i hit it off because we talked about this program we had them out you know two three months later And then since then, you know, I've, I've followed Danny to Kentucky. I've helped him. I've learned how to operate the machine. I've, you know, I've been there watching other people. I've, I've learned more about, you know, it's same way with eventing. I've learned so much more about, you know, how people fall by sitting and watching than I have doing it. Uh, Danny's done the other way. He's learned a lot more about falling by falling. Uh, (laughs) But you know, I just I watch the aha moments and every every instructor every trainer, whether it's horse or rider, and, and Danny's seen. You know he watches it day in day out. He watches these aha moments people have. We live for the aha moments where they just uh, something connects and they hold on to it. And and for me, this program has has created that aha moment in myself. And have I, I've then helped others have the same aha moments, and it's just you know, you know if if I could give a ring endorsement for something every writer should do, it's this: it's it's figuring out how to find a plan B or a C. You know, figuring out you know in in the worst situation possible, you have that time. You know, to 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 come up with an, a new plan. Um, you know, it's, it's, I, I, I hate that I love this program so much because I want to do it more and I want everybody to do it. And I wish they would, I wish every event writer, you know, in the u s e a would come do this program at least once, because if they get on it one time, they come do it one time, they will come back and do it again. And they will, you know, figure out that, you know, as much as we prepare, as much as we get the right equipment, as much as we get the right horse and as much as we learn how to ride the right way, you know, if we don't learn how to, you know, be prepared for the bad side of our sport, you know, why, why wouldn't you prepare? You know, it, it, it's just, I, I, it's beyond me, but this, that, that program, Danny's program is one of the best things that's happened to this sport. In decades. And hey, we can end on that.
0: Sorry, I I, went on a chance, I apologize. Yeah, it. is I it's mean, Well, super. Come on. D- Catherine, you can pay me. Just pay Dave directly.
1: Okay. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome, though.
6: Yeah, awesome. So, you know, I think that, uh, you know, we'll start winding things down here. I mean, it, you know, at least kind of going forward, any final thoughts with, you know, today's conversation kind of going forward with the sport of eventing and say, like, Catherine can go first.
4: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think people need to educate themselves. You have to make the most informed decision for yourself. I, I feel like that's a huge part of rider responsibility. So that goes to everything we've been talking about, making sure you've got the right horse, the right level, the right coach, the right equipment, um, and really having a, a good heart to heart with yourself to make sure you've got all of those different components to stay safe.
0: Catherine, can I ask you, uh, Can you, you have a great, you have a very good following. Um, I pushed you a bit when you were doing this stuff. Can you put a a post out for everybody for that, that the Swedish fulcrum study? Because that, that, that helmet study that Sweden did was unbelievable, right? Like it's non-biased. It's done through an insurance. Like, and so you could take that information and compare it to the information from Virginia Tech, right?
5: And then,
3: and I think,
0: you know, I think that would be a great help for everybody 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 in every sport right um because one um you won't say it but i'll say it, you know our astm isn't necessarily the best standard in the not world not the most right?
4: stringent standard
0: right so Catherine won't say because she can't she's in that industry <laughs> i can um and so so when people say oh it's astm a- 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 approved i sort of go so um you know there's a lot of other standards out there and i think the swedish study did such a better job of an overall comparison in in all of the things. And so I I don't, I don't have that. I probably could, but you probably have that at your fingertip. And yeah, I
4: actually, if if you go to to our website, which is www.rideequisafe.com and you go to the blog section, I think as of today, the last three blog posts were all about the Virginia tech study and the very last one, the most recent has a bunch of grids showing one of them shows the Folksom results compared to the Virginia Tech results. Another one has a grid of all of the helmet certifications for each of the 40 tested helmets with the Virginia Tech study. So you can look at all of the information to make an informed decision versus just looking at the five-star rating of the Virginia Tech study.
0: Right, right, which I think is, is, again, you know, I think we we sort of started off talking about this. I think that 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 study is a step-off point for education, for people to have have a place to go, a thing to look at. I think the, the Swedish study is a good one. And, and it makes them more aware of, hey, actually, I don't care how much bling my helmet has on it. I care that it's crush proof. I care that it has MIPS. I care that it that its concussion rating is high. Everybody's gonna care a little bit about something different. Um, but we're gonna, we're gonna have a better, a better source. And I think. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna lean on you a little bit here to to help guide us because you're the pro, and I'll, <laughs> I'll guide everybody on how not to use the equipment. Okay. There
4: you go. Hey, I like both ends of the spectrum. How to use it, how not to use it. <laughs> there we go.
6: <laughs> yeah. So, Dave, uh, you know, any thoughts? You know, kind of going forward, this sport. You know, either on any on anything that we've talked about today.
5: So, you know, I kind of you know as as we go through this conversation today, you know, there's a couple things that just you know really you know that I, I think about with with today's riders uh, and the horses we have and i think one of the first things is you know one, one thing that i encourage my students to do is slow down we you know we don't there no one has to be in a race to get anywhere fast do it the right way be educated have the right equipment get the right training get the right horse wait for the right time we we you know we don't we don't have to be in in a race there's there's no no first prize for getting to, you know, upper level of venting faster than someone else. Take your time, get educated. Uh, the other thing I think for me is, you know, if we kind of take a step back and look at when things go wrong w- in the sport, you know, whether it's injury or, you know, something happens at a big event, um, people tend to turn to social media to start, you know, complaining and getting on there and going, well, you know, what's wrong with the the sport. If there's one thing I can encourage every person who goes to hop on their keyboard and start typing something out after something's happened is get involved, get involved in this sport, you know, get involved, go, go, walk. you know, even as simple as go hang out with a course designer for today, for a day, learn why a course takes shape, uh, go on, on course walks, uh, go volunteer, be part of a bigger part of the USCA. go get on a committee, go, you know, be involved in this sport. You know, if, if you truly believe that you have an idea that could you know, make this sport safer, don't just put it on Facebook. We need your help. We want your help. Get involved in this sport. This work goes nowhere without all of us. And, you know, that that, to me is one of the biggest encouragements I is is get involved.
1: Yeah. Amen. Yes, (laughs) definitely. So I guess we'll wind things down. I think this was a a great conversation. Um, I'm sure we could probably go on for hours about everything, but um, I just wanted to thank you all for joining us today. And um, we'll just leave it with how do our listeners follow along? So Catherine, how, how do they find you?
4: Yep. So I mentioned the website, www.rideequisafe.com, but we're also very active on social media, both on Instagram and Facebook, just Ride Equisafe all together. One word is the forward slash or the at sign. And we try to publish educational tips, safety tips, um, as well as, you know, new product alerts and and new technology that's that's coming up so that people can kind of explore Um, One thing I'll say, and Danny has mentioned it, we try to be brand agnostic. um, And really what we're there for is to educate and inform so that people can make the best personal decision for themselves to stay safe. It is not one size fits all. And Dave?
5: Uh, So, you know, again, the business is Elevation Dressage and Eventing. uh, And then my little shoot off of it is Elevation Cross-Country Design. Uh, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook, uh, Elevation Dressage and Eventing, and you can find me on Instagram at at Jump All the Things. Uh, but the other thing I encourage is anybody listening: uh, if you see my name as the court- listed course liner on an event that you're competing at, feel free to come say hi, come talk to me. I I geek out about cross country design, and I can talk your ear off. I can walk you through every step of it. I encourage you to come say hi and and ask questions.
0: And Danny. Well, we're um, I'm really bad at Facebook. So, <laughs> uh, you guys said I was late getting in here because I can barely get a computer turned on. Um, but yeah, so that's it. That's us. Um, you'll talk to Kelly. She'll get you organized. Um, we need an indoor and 50 amps of power. We'll come. Awesome. I can't wait to get okay.
1: there. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah, we're, we're, we're excited. We'll come wherever you are and uh, do it soon because I'm going to stop traveling soon. I'm going to make you all come to tower. And I'm just gonna set up shop down there so I can stay warm all the time. Oh, not so. a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I'm just gonna. And go fishing. And go yeah. fishing. Yeah. Right. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah,
5: yeah. Exactly,
0: exactly. So, if you want me to come to you, better do it soon.
1: All right. <laughs> there we go. Yep.
0: Karen, Robbie, thanks for having us. Uh, I really, really am honored to be here um, on the first podcast back. Um, you know how we feel about you guys. We love you very much. And uh, man, I, I am, I am super, super honored to be here. Thank you very much.
5: Yeah, I will I'll echo the same exact thing Danny just said. It's you know, I've been a fan of of this podcast since the first episode and you know not only an honor to be here with you guys but with with my my friends here, you know, talking about you know this sport. It's I, I appreciate you guys, you know, sticking with it and, and having us on as the personal back.
1: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and never miss an episode of the Major League Eventing Podcast.